Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. As I was preparing for this message, I couldn't help but think about how many of us are trying to make changes in our lives, right? Like we have changes that we know we need to make. Or maybe you're like me, and you begin those changes, and you're like, I'm committed. I'm going to start. I'm going to do it well. And you start so well. And then it slowly begins to peter out. It's like when you go to the gym at the beginning of the year, and it's full up, right? I had one of my students say, I hate the beginning of the year, because I go to the gym every morning, and it's packed. But give it three weeks, Tiff, and everyone's gone. And I have my choice of machines. <laughs> and I say that because a lot of times we know and we logically can say, I know I need to put into practice these changes in my life. And we start and we do well. And then slowly as time goes on, we get exhausted or we just don't see the point and we let it peter out. And if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we just finished this series called Loving Life. And in that series, Pastor Dwayne talked about healthy practices and things we can do for our lives so that we can live a life that we love, a life that God called us to, right? So he talked about things like resetting our priorities. He talked about contentment. He talked about humility, right? And that we can make those changes to live the life that God has created for us. So today, I want to take a moment, and I want to talk about when we tear down those bad habits or those things in our life that we know shouldn't be there, or we try to put healthy practices and those changes into life, how do we do that in a way that creates lasting change? And I think it's important for a moment to take a step and acknowledge that once we have torn down things in our lives that have been setting us off course, um, or the work doesn't just stop there, right? Because after we remove those things in our life, after we take out those things that have been holding us back, we need to make changes. The best thing we can do is build an altar, which is my main point of the me this message today. So if you t are taking notes and you take one thing away from anything I say today, please let it be this. After we decide to make changes in our life, the best thing we can do with our lives is build an altar out of our life. Now, what do I mean by building an altar? Contextually, throughout the Bible, an altar is a structure or a symbol of a place that was to be set apart and holy. It was sole purpose was to worship God. And I believe that after we make changes in our life, after we begin to put practices and healthy habits into our life to follow Jesus, that the next best thing we can do is build our lives into an altar that worships God and shows our devotion to him. Because if we don't, more likely than not, as human beings, what will happen is something we don't ever intend to worship or something that we allow to take root in our life will take whatever we've been worshiping's place. Uh, recently, throughout uh, youth, I went through this series, and it went through with our students. So I'm sorry, guys, if you're in here today, what I say might sound a little familiar. We went through this series called Tear Down the idols. And in that series in youth, what we talked about was that 
we can live our lives solely to worship God, or if we aren't intentional, we will unintentionally live our life serving or worshiping something else. And in this series, I explained to students that an idol is simply anything that takes place of worshiping God. So things like money or power or validation or approval or control, and for a lot of us, desire, things we desire. And if you need help figuring out what your idol is or what your thing that holds you back is, because not all of them are easy to recognize, what I tell our students is, what do you spend most of your time focusing on? What do you talk about? And what are you willing to sacrifice for? Because in my experience, we talk about what we love. We focus on what we love. We sacrifice for what we love. And more often than not, those things that we talk about, those things we sacrifice for, those things that we spend time with, that's our idol. That's our thing, right? See, as human beings, we are created by God to worship. We are worshipers, right? And we were created and built to do so. And unless we are intentional to take steps and maintain God at the center and the focus of our lives, then we will end up worshiping something else. Because old habits, old idols, old things in our life that have tripped us up before will gladly step in to take his place. And then, see, that's where things will really get dangerous. Because I've said this to students, and I'm going to say it now, idols are counterfeit, and they're costly. They will always cost us more than they can ever give. So after we do the work of tearing down those idols in our life, those things that shouldn't be there, we need to replace those things with something better. So how do we do this? To help us, what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, and it's in 1 Kings. And I love this passage because I think we see a couple of ingredients for creating lasting change. But before we jump in, I want to give you context for what's happening in the story, because we're going to come in partway through the story. So, um, and I want you guys to know that I'm giving you context, because I think context and understanding shapes everything around what we're reading. And when we have understanding and we, can, we know what's going on, then we can find meaning in what we're reading. And when we have meaning, we apply it to our life. So what's going on in 1 Kings 18? Well, at this point in history, God's people have turned their back on God. Okay? And they've started worshiping idols, particularly the false god Baal. And in this scene that we're going to read, God has sent his prophet named Elijah, his chosen messenger, to go toe-to-toe with the prophets of Baal. So all in the hopes to prove to King Ahab and God's people who the real God is with the purpose of leading the king and God's people back to him. Now, where we're going to read in this story is about halfway through the sequence of events. And pretty much what's going on is in the first half of the story, the prophets of Baal have had their turn, right? Like they've stepped up and they've prayed, they've cried, they've worshipped, they've done anything and everything to get their God to show up. And he is nowhere to be found. All right, so now where we're going to come in is it's Elijah's turn. And we're going to see what he does. So starting in 1 Kings 18:30, we read this. 
Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. See, after we've torn down idols in our life, we need to take time to build our lives into an altar for God. So to start off this miracle that's about to take place, where the God of heaven and earth is going to show up and show his people who he is, Elijah takes a moment to rebuild the altar of the Lord. Right? So what is an altar? I said this briefly before. An altar is a structure that is set apart where people will sacrifice things as a form of worship. And oftentimes, historically, they were made of stone. But the reason altars are important, the thing that we have to understand, is because altars marked miraculous moments. They were a visible reminder of what God had done, and a physical expression of God's people's commitment and devotion to him. So to put it in comparison for today, altars are like wedding rings. And I'm going to explain, I swear. They mark, wedding rings mark miraculous moments, are a visible reminder of a sacrificial loving relationship, and are a physical expression of our commitment to that relationship. When my husband and I got married, we exchanged wedding rings to mark the moment of being married, to mark the sacrificial loving relationship we have had to that moment and continuing on, and the devotion and commitment that we had for each other through that relationship, right? It's a really big deal. And similarly, altars do the same thing. So what Elijah is doing is he is setting the stage for what's about to happen so that the people of God will not forget what God is going to do and so that the people will understand that when God moves, when he shows up, he always wants us involved. We are not passive participants in what God is going to do. And I'm going to say that again because a lot of times in our culture it can be easy to think that we are. We are not called to be passive participants in what God has called us to do, right? So what, what Elijah does is he calls them to be a part of it. Picking back up in 1 Kings 18, 31 through 32, it says this, Elijah took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. See, as Elijah rebuilds the altar, he shows us the first ingredient that we need to turn our lives into altars and make changes, and it's this. The first ingredient you need, and I need, is people. What does Elijah do? He doesn't huddle alone and proceed to rebuild God's altar. He doesn't pick the stones up by himself. What does Elijah do? He calls the people to him, right? And it says that he took 12 stones and called the people, each stone to represent a different tribe of Israel. See, what's so interesting is that when Jesus stepped into history over 2,000 years ago, he assembled a team of 12 disciples. Why? Each one to represent a tribe of Israel. Because Elijah and Jesus both understood that real change, life-giving, miraculous change, never happens alone, right? It always happens when the people of God 
come together, work together, and are on mission for him. It's also the reason here at SCC, we are all about becoming and making disciples of Jesus as we gather, as we grow, and as we go together, right? We don't do it alone, because when we are on mission for God, when we are on mission together, God does miraculous things. When we come together as a community and a family, with God's mission and purpose as the center, lives are changed. See, if we continue on in 1 Kings 18, 32 through 34, it says, we read, Elijah dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench. So what is Elijah doing in this moment? He is having the people work together to set the stage for the miracle that God is going to do. But he's also demonstrating a second ingredient that we need to make change and build our lives into altars for God, and it's this. We need persistence. See, when Elijah goes and he prepares this demonstration for God, he grabs the people together, right? And he says, hey, go do this thing. And they do it, and he says, okay, go do it again. And they do it again. And then he says, okay, do it a third time. Because real change never happens after a single decision. Real change never happens after a single action. Real change never happens in one single day, in my experience at least. It takes time, it takes commitment, it takes dedication. See, we have to be willing to do the things that God calls us to do over again and over again and over again, no matter how many times he calls us to. And until that change occurs. And when that change occurs, we need to keep doing those same things over again so that it takes root. See, that's why practices like reading the Bible, praying, doing all of those things coming together are called spiritual disciplines. Right? I heard someone say it over here. Thank you for that. <laughs> They're called disciplines. In fact, the word discipline literally means the practice of training oneself to obey or abide by a set of rules or behaviors. Why are they called disciplines? Because they require work. They require intention. They don't just happen to us, right? Otherwise, as humans, as I mentioned before, we will go back to the way things were before. More often than not, why? Why would we do that? Because we like the comfortable over the courageous. We like the comfortable over the courageous. Becoming healthy requires more than us eating one salad one time. At least for me. I don't know about all of you. Uh, faith, same way. It's more than attending one church service. It's more than going to one small group one time. It's more than reading one Bible plan one time. Faith, real, rooted, lasting faith that, that stands when life hits hard and take it from me, it will. That faith takes work. 
That faith takes consistency. It requires persistence. So if we continue on in this passage, picking up in 1 Kings 18, 36 through 39, we read, At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. How do we create real and lasting change? We need three things, right? Elijah has the people. He has the persistence. But what does he do third? He prays, right? Which is our final ingredient, prayer. Prayer, now, now we need to understand that prayer, how much it matters, right? If you were to ask me, I would tell you that prayer is the bacon of lasting change. Hang with me. I promise it will make sense. And I said this to my husband earlier this week, and he laughed at this. So I'm going to say it lambs. Here's what I mean. If you know me at all, and my students who are sitting back there will attest to this, there's not a youth group that they come to that I don't have a snack bowl. And my reasoning for this is because I love food. I really love food. Like, if the way you know I love you is if I make food for you, let me tell you. And I have an opinion. I know y'all are shy that I have opinions, but I have an opinion about almost any type of restaurant in the area. I love food. So when I say to you, I love a cheeseburger, I mean it. And when we think of a cheeseburger, a regular cheeseburger, it's good. It's nice. It's okay. It'll get you by. All right? But you want to make it special. You really want to make it sing. You put bacon on it. And if you want to kick it up another notch, you go to Tipsy Cow in Woodenville and you put a, a fried egg and maple fried bacon. Thank me later. My, my point is, my point is, it changes everything, right? See, prayer, prayer does the same thing. Prayer changes everything. Because in our life, if we want to make a difference, we can have the people, we can have the persistence, but without asking God to come and be a part of the process, change will not happen. Without prayer, we will not see the God of heaven and earth do the miraculous in our lives because we have not invited him into that situation. See, it's through prayer that we invite him into that moment. And there's a reason the Bible says that God, that he knocks, but we have to open that door right? He is not one to force himself in, but we have to invite him in, and prayer does that. We invite the Lord of the heavens and the earth and the universe to step in and do only what he himself can do. See, it isn't until Elijah prays that the fire from heaven and God shows up in a way that no one can deny. It wasn't until Elijah prays that things are forever changed. It isn't until Elijah prays that God shows up in a way that no one will ever miss. See, how do we build our lives into an altar 
that demonstrates devotion to God? Because the truth is, the most important altar we build will be our lives. That our lives will become a physical reminder of what God has done. That our lives will become an expression to the world of who he is. And that our lives would show a sacrifice and devotion to him so that when people see us, they see the love of God shining through us. So how do we do this well? Well, we're not fully finished. I know you guys are like, yes, we're done early. We're not fully finished. Elijah does one more thing. And I think it's so important, and it's going to get a little uncomfortable, and I'm going to apologize now, but hang with me. I swear it'll get better. So we're going to look for one moment at 1 Kings 1840, because this is so important. It says, Then Elijah commanded, Seize all of the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape so that that the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to Kishon Valley and killed all of them there. Now we're going to pause for a moment, because for some of us, we read this. We read that Elijah had the prophets of Baal killed, and it sounds really extreme. Like when I read this, I'm going to be honest, my thought was, did he really have to have them all killed? Like is it, is it that thing? But it sounds harsh to us, and the reason it does It's because today we don't understand how dangerous idols actually are. As a culture and society, we have become a little bit numb to the destruction that idols have in our lives. The reason Elijah isn't playing around is because he understands just how pervasive sin can be if left unchecked. See, he understands that if you want to throw your life away, The best thing you can do is let a little bit of sin stay in it. To allow part of you to serve something else while the rest of you serves God. If given that chance, that little piece, that'll take everything. And there are some of us today who know how badly we need to make changes in our lives. And we want to so bad, and yet, for some reason, we haven't done it. And the reasoning is that whatever our thing is, whatever our idol is, whatever that sin is, and I don't care what it is, we just don't see it as that big of a deal. We haven't been willing to sacrifice it. We haven't been willing to give it up. We haven't trusted that God is good enough and big enough and that he is who he says he is. And so because of that, we've held on so tightly. And it robs us. Because eventually, we know if things don't change years down the road, it might be years, we'll see just how destructive it can be. And I'm going to be real transparent to y'all today. When I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself. Because my idol of choice, my thing, my sin, is control. And when you boil that down, that's trust. And I have always struggled with this. And I, I said this earlier this week. My walk with Jesus has been more akin to a Mortal Kombat street fight than walking beside still waters. (laughs) Because it just feels like a tug of war. But God slowly, albeit painfully sometimes, strips away that idol, that sin that we are not meant to hold onto and that we have allowed to hold us back. Why? Because even though it's a daily sacrifice, even though it's a sacrifice that we have to 
let go of. We know deep, deep down that God, he's the only thing that's ever going to bring that peace that we long for. God is the only thing that is ever going to satisfy. God is the only thing that is ever going to bring us the joy and the life that we need. So what do we all need to do? We do what Elijah did. We do what the people of God did. We have to be willing to tear down the things in our lives that would throw us off track. We have to be willing to be vulnerable and say, okay, God, here's my sin. Here's my thing. Here's the thing that I have let hold me back. Here's the thing that I have held on to. Here is the thing that I just haven't been willing to release. Because I said this earlier, that idols are costly, right? But here's, here's what we have to understand. Idols always promise more than they can deliver, but God, he always delivers on his promises. Idols always promise more than they can ever deliver, but God delivers on his promises. And Jesus tells us in his teachings that if we follow him faithfully, then we will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, what I want to do for the rest of our time very briefly as the band comes back up and as our prayer teams come up and as we take a moment to reflect, excuse me, I'm so sorry, I want us to ask ourselves three questions. And I think it's questions, they're questions that Elijah asked himself. I think it's things that we actually have to understand too. So first, number one, who are your people? See, I say this to our students all the time. We become like the people we spend time with. So show me your friends and I will show you your future. Because as human beings, we are the average of five people in our lives. And what I mean by that is in, I promise it'll be just a minute, um, is, uh, so sorry, Barna Research Institute in 2021 said that students need five people from different areas of their life all saying the same message for something to stick. And we hear that and we say, okay, for student, that makes total sense. 100% makes sense. But what I want us to ask ourselves is, are we as adults really that different? So who are going to be your people? Who are you investing time to? And more importantly, who do you spend your time with? Are you finding people to walk alongside you, to lovingly point you back to Jesus? Well, maybe you don't even want to hear it. Because I'm here today because of those very people. Because of those very conversations. So who are your people? Question two, what do you need to be persistent in? The life we want tomorrow is based on the choices that we make today. And if we want a better life than we have now, then we need to start making better choices today. And more often than not, The choices we make, if it's, in my experience, if it's the hard choice, it's usually the right choice. So what do you need to be persistent in? For some of us, it's going to be reading God's word first thing in the morning instead of picking your app of choice on your phone, whatever your app of choice is, news, Instagram, be real, whatever that might be. For others of us, it is actually joining a small group. We have a variety of amazing small groups full of people that want to come alongside you and walk and do life with you, so maybe that's your thing. Or maybe for others of us, it's asking others for help. It's consistently praying and going going to someone and saying, will you walk with me? 
Whatever your thing is, we have to come up with a plan on how we're going to do it. Not just one time, not just two times, but making it a daily commitment to show up. And then the final thing, how can we wrap all this up? How can we fuel this with prayer? Because again, prayer is the bacon for making lasting change. And out of all of the ingredients, I would say it's the most important. And I think it's the most important because it's the part where we invite God into the process, where we are asking him to do something in our lives that we could never do on our own, but in a way that we would never miss that he is there. In the same way that he did for Elijah and the people of Israel years ago. And if you aren't sure how to answer that question, if you're like, I have no idea how to even begin praying, well, we have amazing prayer warriors on the side here that would love to pray with you, teach you how to pray, and walk you through that. But in a moment, Pastor Dwayne is going to come up and talk about another way that we want to foster a community of prayer here at Shoreline. Because we are a community that comes together. But as we pause and we reflect on this, I want us to begin to ask God as well to reveal to us and reveal in our lives what other things we might have been serving, what other things we might have been giving our life to, and what changes we need to make to remove that from our life, but also turn our lives into the altars set apart for devotion to him. And make no mistake, altars were places of sacrifice, so it's going to require sacrifice but it means you don't sacrifice alone. So I'm gonna call Pastor Dwayne up and he's gonna talk to us about how we can fuel all of this with prayer for a moment. Amen, wasn't that a good word this morning? (laughs) Who are your people? What do you need to be persistent in? And how can you fuel all this with prayer? When you came in today, hopefully you, you got one of these, and if not, we're going to be handing these out to you. But this is a prayer card. This is an action step. And if anyone didn't get one, would you raise your hand? We have, we have a team of people that would love to hand one out. And raise it nice and high so we can see that in the balcony, wherever you are. And... At the very top of this, it says prayer partners, and this, this flows right in with what Pastor Tiffany was saying. Who are your people? And what, what I'm doing is I want to issue a challenge to you for the next four weeks, just four weeks, that you would partner with someone who is going to connect with you regularly in prayer. So at the top of it, when it says name of prayer partner, that's you. I want you to take the pen from the seat in front of you and just write your name on that. Just write down. And then in that next section, you can kind of wait a little bit on that. But this is how we will check in. So this is a card that you're going to, in a minute, I want to encourage you to take this and to bring it to somebody. And this tells them how they're going to check in with you. For me, I wrote my email down because I check my email every day. For you, you may want to put if your prayer partner is someone that you trust a little bit more, you may want to put your cell phone in there. Or this is something that you may want to kind of wait and work out with them. Maybe you want to get together with somebody for coffee once a week or however often. That's between you and that person. You can just kind of work that out, whatever that means. So your name's at the top, how you're going to check in, text, call, email, or in person, whatever, whatever frequency. And then I want you to, to, to 
lay out three ways. So this is three things that you're praying for. Three things that you want this person to pray for you about. And it can start vague, and it can go deeper as you get to know them, or maybe you know already the Lord's put in your mind, this is somebody that I know, and you can get a little more personal here. But for me, three things I put down for is wisdom. I've got some big decisions coming up that I want somebody partnering with me in prayer for wisdom in these areas. Uh, Number two, I put family. How many have families that need a lot of prayer? If you have a family, they need a lot of prayer. And as we walk through these four weeks, these things will unfold. For number three, for me, I put down um, SCC. That's all of you. Praying for our leaders, praying for community engagement, praying for boldness and sharing in our faith. But I'd like for you to take a moment, and as you do this, just writing again your name, how to contact, and just three things, and it can just be really light because this is something you're going to go out, but ask the Lord in this moment, Lord, bring someone to my mind. This may be somebody that you know pretty well, or maybe you're going to create a new friendship today. And for four weeks, commit these three things to prayer, and we're going to check in. We're going to follow up. I've done this with several people throughout the area, and I'll tell you, it is life-changing. And at the end of four weeks, you may be... That's your stepping off point where you can either step off or you can say, you know what, I'd like to kind of keep this going. That's between you and the Lord. But can we just take a moment just to take that pen? I know I'm, I'm leaning into your penmanship today. I've had you use your pen a lot. But just, just take a moment just to write down, what are three things that I'm praying for? And then as the band leads us in, in this song, just to get up and start walking to somebody. So Lord, we thank you. Lord, there's power in prayer. When the disciples struggled, you pointed them to prayer because as we come together in prayer, our lives are changed. And God, as we pray for one another, we are changed. As Pastor Tiffany just, just, just described so, so, so wonderfully this morning. Lord, we know faith without works is dead. So Lord, put some faith to our feet today that we would walk with you. We know it's going to be hard. We know it's going to be difficult. We know that we're going to have to be vulnerable with one another. But Lord, help us today. Help us today as we put feet to our faith. In Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. The band's going to lead. Take some time to fill, fill this out. I'm going to give you just a few moments. And then as you feel comfortable and, and you feel, yep, I know who I want to go to, I want to invite you just to get up, go to that person, and begin that four weeks of praying together. Amen? Let's respond to the Lord today. Amen. Amen. As we, as we close today, I want to encourage you, man, don't leave without going and finding somebody. In fact, can we all just stand up today as we close in a word of prayer? And here's the thing. This, this is going to be kind of a soft close. If you haven't found anybody yet, kind of hang out, but find somebody. Don't, don't wait until later unless there's someone in your mind you're like, I want to partner with them. And if it's them, take your phone out, text them before you leave today and say, you know what? There's a challenge issue today to do a four-week prayer partner. I'd like for you to partner with me, but take some action today before you leave. Take that card to somebody, figure out how you're going to connect, and then have a wonderful day in the Lord. But this is our benediction. Let's say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and pray as you go and live for Jesus. Love you also very much. God bless.